Did perimenopause or menopause catch you off guard? Weird symptoms appearing from nowhere? Wondering who is this person who's inhabiting your body? And most of all, having no one to talk to about it? It happened to me too. And with all the chaos that it was causing me, I knew I had to figure it out. I dug in, reading often outdated books and searching obscure references on the internet. I learned how our shifting reproductive hormones mess with every cell in our bodies. And as I realized how complete this hormonal disruption was, I became determined to help other women understand and control their own menopause journey. Because menopause matters. And here, we talk about all things menopause. I'm your host, Jean Andrus, and this is Menopause Matters, the podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Jean Andrus, the menopause guru, and this is Menopause Matters. Today, we are talking to Nicole Christina, and Nicole Christina is a psychotherapist of 30 years specializing in eating disorders in midlife women. She's also the host of Zestful Aging, a multi-award winning podcast that considers the many issues that accompany aging. She strives to bring in bring optimism to aging and interview guests from all over the world who are thriving in later life. Nicole, it is a delight to have you here with me today. And this is such an important topic. And it's one that I probably, to me, is probably underappreciated and underserved because we tend to think of eating disorders as being a teenager, young woman issue. But tell me a little bit about, you know, sort of the general population in midlife, how many women are out there dealing with this? Is it still the anorexia and bulimia that we saw in younger women? What? Tell me a little, give me a little of the <laughs> oh, the overview. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me, Jean. It's a pleasure to um, have the opportunity to talk about this because you're right, it is underserved. And I think there's shame of, uh, associated with it. It's not something you talk about at a cocktail party. And um, it is associated with, uh, this is not true, but the idea is that it's uh, teenage, white, privileged, kind of spoiled girls who have nothing better to do than restrict their food and maybe get attention. That's, I think, the... Um, it, there's a myth around that. Um, yeah, and that the is, stereotype. And, that's and exactly like all stereotypes. Exactly, only a little bit true. That's precisely right. But if you think about adolescence and developmentally, all that we ask of um, people in adolescence, it's not that dissimilar to a, a midlife or around menopause, where there's massive adjustments massive changes, massive identity shifts, and really the question of who am I, right? There's a void there, Absolutely. a vacuum. So there it's a, you know, it's it's certainly not the same, but there are some parallel developmental tasks like, well, that time is behind me, but I'm not quite sure what comes next. 
And um, I know you've talked a lot about this um, on the show. So, you know, we don't um, always have a sort of a, 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 a structure or like an idea, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do next. This is going to set me up to feel really satisfied and contributing and healthy and all this stuff. Um, and we do live in an Instagram culture. So there's just an awful lot of pressure for women who are in that middle, that um, menopause kind of time to, uh, it's it's very attractive to try to find something to help us kind of glue ourselves back together and also give us sort of a purpose. I mean, it's not a deep purpose, but it can feel like a purpose and it can be a beautiful distraction because instead of thinking about my mortality, um, if my kid or my grandkid is going to be safe in this world, what, you know, what's next for them with global warming, all this stuff, I can think about how many carbs I've eaten. And it's just such a uh, way to simplify. It's a very kind of elegant solution with massively negative um, uh, consequences. And in fact, um, your listeners may already know that eating disorders are the most lethal disorders of any of the psych diagnoses. So this is not something that is, uh, we don't want to play around with this. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, what we're seeing is that the residential treatment programs, like the gold standard residential treatment programs are now developing tracks or have treatment tracks just for midlife women. So we know there's a need because they're getting the patients who are um, coming in for services. So let me ask you a question here because this, I do not have a problem. (laughs) This is not me. You know, I, if anything, I go in the other direction, but, um, which is not health, not necessarily healthy either, but is certainly less healthy than than truly disordered eating. So, um, and I talk a lot. Oh, here's the question I really want to ask right now: Is this more likely to affect a woman who has had an issue with this as a teenager, or is this? something that's newly developed or is there just a giant mix? That's a great, really good question. All of the above. What we do see is we may have a little dormant eating disorder then pops up its ugly head. It it tends to be like an Achilles heel for people so that if -hmm. they suffered with an eating disorder as a younger woman and things are kind of going along okay, but a great stress happens, caregiving their parents or their their partner or job loss, all this stuff. (laughs) Teenagers will do it. Uh, Then it just starts rearing its ugly head because it offers some level of comfort. And that's why I always try to talk about this in compassionate terms. Nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to have an eating disorder today. What they do is they try to keep their lives um, manageable and then they at first are in control of, you know, whatever they're doing, vegan or 
you know, keto, they're in control, but then slowly they are no longer in control and the diet is controlling them. So I really think it's helpful to, it's a way to solve a problem when you don't necessarily have other skills to, to grab onto at really tough times in life. Yeah. And let's just talk a little bit about weight gain and, uh, it's kind of interesting because I'm right right in the middle of working on um, my New Year's weight loss program. And as I was developing it, I was starting to think, and it sort of not in relation to our earlier conversation with this, but I started thinking about, yeah, let's make sure that women are coming into this with realistic expectations and understanding that our bodies do shift, that we are not going to look like, you know, just as our postpartum body didn't look like the same body we went into adolescence with, our postmenopausal or even perimenopausal body is not going to be the same as when we were in our 20s, that we, we changed, there are shifts, and it's even a good thing, believe it or not, it's even a good thing from a physiological standpoint to carry that extra five to 10 pounds. Now, I'm not saying 65 pounds. You may want to do something about that, but let's do it in a sensible way so that we bring ourselves into our best healthy feel good body without going too far in the wrong direction. Does that make sense to you? It makes total. And I think it's really such an important point. I think the other piece of this is what do you think is going to happen if you lose 10 pounds? Do you think, you know, all of a sudden you're going to get a big check and, and people flock towards you like your Beyonce? I mean, what do you actually, what's your fantasy about being in a smaller body is? I think that's worth exploring because I've worked with people who have had bariatric surgery. And I want to tell you, it is a pretty tough transition. And mm -hmm. my experience is it can be really distressing, confusing, um, and uh, really conflicted. So I would want to ask, you know, what do you think is going to happen if you lose this 10 pounds? How do you see it? And to your point, is it realistic? Um, and the other thing is the research, and I know nobody wants to hear this, but is really about what are your, uh, what's your blood pressure? What is, you know, what's your endurance? And I know you're a huge athlete and a walker and all this stuff. Um, if you're doing things that are energetic and endurance, you know, like we really want to look at your health metrics, not just the weight. You can be a size four, whatever, and be really unhealthy and undernourished. Absolutely. So we really want to be smart about this and not just grab onto this notion that thin women are more successful or 
you know, whatever, more attractive, nicer, happier, all this stuff, because it is so much more complicated than that. And we really swim in this. It's, you know, it's ageist. It's it's all the things that we don't like. Is it just about my body? And by the way, who benefits from women being smaller? So there's a whole <laughs> body of, you know, people have had a lot to say about this. So I think that your thoughtful um, treatment of this, which is, okay, you know, we can do this, but what are you expecting and are we focusing on health? The first thing I always recommend to people is cut out the processed foods and Absolutely. then see what <laughs> happens. Now, I'm going to tell you as a tennis player, when I'm a little lighter, I move better and my knees are happier. So it's not to say you should never want to lose weight. It's the worst. It's You won't be a feminist. It's so terrible. But I think that it's a very, you have to be thoughtful about it and you have to do it intentionally and you have to uh, ask yourself some hard questions. Yeah, you know? I I totally agree. As a, I'm, my thing is skiing. Uh, well, not anymore because I now live in Louisiana. Right. Where the ski slopes are really, really, really minimal. Uh, but as a skier, Years ago, when I was living in the Northeast, being heavy meant that you couldn't move as as easily. But I did. I was happy as a skier, and it was just when I wanted to to reach that next goal. So there are things that that we can do. We can get our bodies healthier, more able to uh, do what they need, what you'd like to do better without buying necessarily buying into this whole skinny culture that mm -hmm. we've lived with for so long that's and it. it's it's really true that we want to get our bodies to the best possible shape but that yeah. shape doesn't that that doesn't need, mean it's a size two. And the other thing I want to say about this, because I think it's a good place to say it, is that we lived with people my age, people a little younger than I did, lived with those MetLife tables for of ideal weight for years and years and years. And the thing that we never, there's three things about this. Number one, those MetLife tables for women were always, the height was always with two-inch heels. And yet, when we went to the doctor's office, we were either in sneakers or we were taking off our shoes to do the, the height. So oh. if I measured out at 5'5", five, five, which is about what I used to measure out, I haven't done it in a while. I actually should be looking at the five seven weight on the MetLife tables, which is a good ten to twenty pounds heavier than the five five weight weights. Number two, those MetLife tables did not take into account frame size, so mm -hmm. they were based on a small to medium frame. Okay. And the third thing is that the weight 
tables have actually been rewritten for older adults. So you're now seeing that additional 10 to 15 pounds. Mm -hmm. And they say 60, but I think it's really menopause is at the age, you know, perimenopause, menopause is the age at which you want to start looking at how, whether or not the old goal makes any sense for you. That's so important. And I would piggyback on that, John, and talk about BMI. I mean, you know, BMI, oh, BMI is, discuss- is annoying, <laughs> frustrating. It's never meant it's... to be used the way it's being used. Now, I want to tell you that I play tennis a couple times a day. Yesterday, I walked five miles. I'm sorry, a week. <laughs> I was, we was going to say, wow. That's, yeah, no, no, not. I have played twice in a day, but that was in an emergency. And then yesterday, a I walked. A tennis emergency, a tennis oh. emergency. <laughs> Yesterday, I walked five miles in the rain with a lot of hills, and I'm quite active. And my and I've lost a little bit of weight because I have a new puppy, and I live in a new place where, but whatever. So my my physician said to me recently, "Oh, you've lost weight. You're no longer in the obese category." Now look at me. I'm like, really? Is that make any sense? I mean, have you seen me throw myself around a tennis court? So, I mean, there's such craziness about the names um, that ignore, you know, what you're able to do, your health. I mean, my blood pressure is like 112 over 58 or something. I mean, all my indicators are really excellent and I work at it, but it doesn't matter if you've got a system that's saying this is what means overweight, this is what means that. So right. there's all the people who um, talk a lot about this kind of thing with eating disorders are just out of their minds with some of these constructs of what makes a healthy, normal weight um, and really uh, ask that we look at functionality and what how our body is doing so that is such a big change for most people to say oh you know i should be such and such a weight and what i would say is if you're eating well most of the time we all want to have oreos or ice cream or whatever you know once in a while if you're doing that you're moving and um you're you know you're having some good stress release and you're all this stuff that's where your body's happy. To force it to be less than that is incredibly stressful. And I would say starts putting you most likely into a real state of obsessiveness, right? Like, mm. oh, I can't have a, a, a Christmas cookie or I can't have this because I'm trying to get to this weight, which your body is probably fighting. So um, you really, when, when we talk about healthy weight, we really want to ask more questions. Who's calling it healthy? What makes it healthy? What do you mean by healthy? And we have to be really smart consumers. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that I find fascinating, you just sort of triggered something in my head, is that we go through this, we, we have all of these societal expectations on us that are coming at us every day, every week, every yep. month. Yep. 
you know, you walk through the, the grocery store checkout line and the, the women's magazines are basically the diet of the month club mm-hmm. or the diet of the week club, depending on which, which one you're talking about. And then you look at the, the other media exposure and we have this whole, if, if you've ever, I mean, if you've ever sat down and watched for two or three hours, what you saw was 60% unhealthy foods, 20% um, drugs to take care of problems from eating unhealthy foods, and 20% cars and other things that you might sold by un- underweight mo- women models <laughs> and they're all <laughs> being sold by size zero yeah and, oh, and they're also they're also young women so oh yes uh, the the idea that we can be that person and you know god love her dolly parton the other night on what what was it sunday night football yeah looking fabulous i hate to tell you guys she knows her surgeon very well mm-hmm. you know she looks great she she's active she's she's healthy but that ain't that ain't the normal human being there same with jane fonda i mean she looks yeah. like a plastic doll she's had so much work and um yeah i think that's such a great point i was watching a little thing on my facebook reels on the actress emma thompson and she talked about um uh, in her last in her newest film um appearing nude and how frightening that was and how her experience has been that you know women have been really taught to hate their bodies and she's no exception, and she got quite emotional about it. So it's a real problem, and people don't really talk about it too much, you know. Um, but if you know, if you're sitting and having a coffee at a, a place or a lunch, you can just overhear when, oh, I shouldn't have this. Um, oh, I'm going to be good, or you I, know, and, and the word we use about ourselves is, I'm bad. I'm going to be bad. Yeah. I yes. it's not I'm making a choice here to have something that's going to be enjoyable and yes. I maybe I need to to walk another couple of miles today because I did that or maybe I need to walk a couple more miles this week. Maybe it doesn't or maybe we don't really need to care that much. Yeah, it's really, I have, there's a consignment shop in town in Syracuse that I really love. She's got such a great sense of style. She says, overhearing some of the conversations coming out of the um, the dressing room uh, between even moms and daughters, she said, it's just so heart-wrenching. Sometimes she can't even stand it. It's like, oh, you can't wear that, you know, it makes you look fat or does my butt look big or what all of this stuff And it gets, you know, we have so much to offer as older women. We have experience, we have gifts, we have talents, all of this. We have wisdom. And to worry about if we've had a dessert really diminishes, I think, who we are as humans. And um, uh, 
the world needs us badly right now. The world definitely needs us. Ladies, do the holidays feel more hectic than heartwarming? Are menopausal changes adding to your stress? You're not alone. Join me for Holiday Harmony, Balancing Menopause and Merriment, a transformative workshop designed just for you. In this 60-minute session, we'll uncover the secrets to managing menopause symptoms with ease. Discover how to maintain hormonal balance even amidst the holiday hustle. Learn stress-busting techniques that work wonders for your well-being. Say goodbye to overwhelming holiday stress and hello to joyful, menopause-friendly celebrations. Let's redefine the festive season together. Reserve your spot at menopause.guru slash holiday. Do it today and embrace a harmonious holiday season. That link is in the show notes. See you soon. And maybe you've heard me talk before. Maybe you've listened to a podcast episode where I talk about the amazing opportunities that we have as women just because we are postmenopausal or even you know in our later perimenopausal years because we've mm-hmm. stopped caring quite so much mm-hmm. about what others think about us well eating disorders are a lot about thinking about you know maybe a reaction to that in some ways that this oh, I'm not caring as much about what other people say. Oh, I should. Because society puts that on us as well. Well, this is a time when you can concentrate on you, being the healthiest you. And that that doesn't mean that being the skinniest you, that means being (laughs) the healthiest you, the best able to sustain your life in activity and purpose and drive and fun and joy and all of those things that make us amazing women. And I think the other side of that is that, and I totally agree with you. I mean, I'm like all about that. (laughs) However, we are also facing mortality and there are losses that we are navigating. Mm -hmm. Um, because life is like that. And as we age, you know, we may be surprised to hear some high school or college or whatever friend has died unexpectedly. I'm struggling now with plantar fasciitis that I'm really working hard to overcome, but you know, I, it's, it hurts. And, you know, we're facing our mortality. There's, you know, and we know there's an end to this party, which is both helpful, but also hard. And so what I would say is, yes, 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 to everything you're saying, but also we have to find a place to process some of the change, some of the loss, some of the adjustments, some of the disappointments that, okay, I'm now in my 60s and I'm probably not going to be an astronaut. Yeah, you know, my guess is 
probably at this point. I'm not saying. So, yeah, just being silly. William Shat- wasn't it William Shatner who went into space yeah, recently? when he was 90, I think. Yes, you're right. Okay, so yes, you could be an ex- astronaut. <laughs> I could, but I'm the, not. The thing that you're likely not to make I- is Junior Miss America. I love that. Exactly. There's doors that have closed, right? I mean, that's not to say I don't love my career as a psychotherapist. I don't, that I don't love being a podcaster, love talking to you, all this stuff. But some of the choices are no longer, uh, you know, uh, they're not available anymore. So I feel like it's walking that line, which is a pretty thin line of, I'm going to grab every opportunity I have. You better believe it. I'm going to say yes to, I'm going to suck the life, the bone, the the marrow the, out of marrow life. Out I'm going to be zestful, yeah. like all of this stuff. Um, yes. And I am going to process what are disappointments and what are fears and what are losses and what feels like a void yeah. and what feels like, the world feels so out of control and scary. What's happening to the next generation? I mean, all that stuff. Oh, that one. Oh, it needs to be have room to be considered. Whether it's with your friend, your partner, your knitting group, your Camino walking group, whatever it is, we have to, I think, allow ourselves to mourn some of the things that will never be the same um, and we're, that we're never going to be 25 again, right? And yeah. um, good news, bad news. But so that's kind of my shtick. Also, as a therapist, there's always like, how do we kind of deal with the gray and the ambivalence of an experience? It's so freeing to be in my 60s and get to travel and get to do weird adventures. And, you know, there's... um there's some uh, real uh, realization that, you know, this party is not going to last forever. And yet you can grasp some of those things. Like I said, Chatner went into space at 90. Mm-hmm. Um, you're probably not going to be Junior Miss America, but there are ways to grasp some of those things in in different ways um mm-hmm. recently i started talking with with my business coach who was a actually very much into the law of attraction and the, the laws of the universe and i said i'm almost given up on the dream that was closest to my heart all of my life which was to have a horse and She's and I said, because this and this and this. And she said, stop giving up. Stop giving up on that dream because you don't know how that dream can be fulfilled. That's right. The why, the and how, right? You don't know how that can happen. And I recently re-embraced that gift uh, that dream and also re-embraced a new way of looking at it which is to getting getting involved in wild horse rescue and uh, some of the things that go on around that and just knowing that I don't have to close myself off to that 
but I might have to close myself off to the way I thought it was going to happen. That's yeah, that's I think that's a really good point. We don't know. Our little brains don't know all of the ways, the complexities. Who would have thought, you know, we would have been podcasters 10 years ago or whatever and meeting all um, been able. I didn't know what a podcast was Ah, 20 years ago. Yeah, right. Exactly. You never know. We we, we have all of these new things that um, we didn't. I mean, my parents didn't know what TVs were when they grew up. We didn't know what podcasts were when we grew up. And my granddaughter, Lord knows what she will be discovering 60 years from now. I just hope, you know, global warming doesn't mean that she's discovering how to live in a lava pit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> little little side political note there. <laughs> but it's, it's so important for us to realize that as humans, we are constantly growing and evolving personally. And we have these opportunities. So I want to give you an opportunity to sort of close up on the eating disorder side of things because we've we've gone in all kinds of directions here mm-hmm. which is wonderful how how does someone know it is it like i said this isn't this is one of those things that never never was an issue for me so how does someone come to the conclusion that as a menopausal, perimenopausal, postmenopausal woman, mm-hmm. that eating is becoming disordered eating is becoming an issue for them and to seek help. That's a great question. So let me tell you what it looks like. Um, and I'm also gonna say that eating disorders, once they're entrenched. Uh, create some thought processes that are not accurate. So you're going to get a lot of denial, but I'll tell you what it looks and feels like. And then we can talk about, you know, for a moment, like what we can do. What it looks like, depending on, it doesn't matter what it is, if it's binge eating, if it's restricting, if it's compensating with over-exercise or vomiting or a myriad of other ways. What it looks like is that the majority of my brain space is being spent thinking and worrying about food and my body. So what that means is that um, I might um, think about, oh, wow, I had oatmeal this morning and I put butter in it. Oh, now I can't have any more fat the rest of the day. Um, And so it just colors your entire experience of your life. So you might say, hey, let's go out to lunch. And I would say, I can't go out to lunch because I already had breakfast and I'm only eating one meal a day or two meals a day. Or I know if you're saying, hey, let's go out to this great place in New Orleans. And I'm (laughs) like, wait a minute. I know they use uh, sausage in there and sausage has fat. So I can't eat that. So it starts really making our world very, very small. 
Some other examples might be like, we can't have Thanksgiving at my house anymore because I'm too anxious about making potatoes with butter, mashed potatoes. I don't want to be around those because I'll probably overeat them. So we're not having Thanksgiving at my house anymore, even though I have the biggest dining room and everybody loves coming over. Just giving you some examples. By the way, you can just send all the leftovers home <laughs> with everybody else except the turkey because turkey is not going to hurt you. <laughs> um, and then uh, another example might be people might want to go to the beach and I'm not going to be in a bathing suit with anybody seeing me in a bathing suit. So you see how it just starts to really kind of close in on your... Um, on your thinking. And it's really about kind of rental space in your brain. Am I thinking, oh, I didn't get my 10,000 steps today. So, and this is true story. I traveled internationally. This is what somebody told me. I didn't get my 10,000 steps. So I'm going to walk around my hotel room while I'm jet lagged to make sure I get 10,000 steps. That is not in balance with real life even though even though you had six hours left less in your day today because you traveled internationally (laughs) right well the it's you know the idea that the constant worry the constant prioritizing of what i'm eating what i shouldn't have eaten what i will eat what i won't eat tomorrow you know the constant thinking about it and um And the same for going to the gym. Like if I had a patient once who would walk on an injury. And so she was walking like 15 miles, something crazy. Mm -hmm. And she really hurt herself, but she wouldn't stop walking. That's a sign when things are really getting out of whack. The problem is, is that by then your brain is in an altered state, especially if you're Mm -hmm. not eating enough fat and calories. And it's often hard to convince someone. So what you might do is say, I've just noticed these things. I'm, I'm concerned about you. And you might just want to say, I noticed this. I noticed this. I noticed this. Are you okay? But that's a whole other conversation. There are books about, you know, there's one called, uh, if someone you love has an eating disorder, don't expect to have it be a welcome conversation because often, as we said earlier, um, people are doing this because they're trying to feel better and they hold on to it with your life. Um, so it's not going to be uh, met with uh, a, a big thank you and a hug. It's going to be more like, I'm fine, mind your own business. But yeah, this, um, same, this sounds like... Um... So we may be actually talking to friends of people who have these disorders as opposed to the people who have the disorders themselves. So, Nicole, can you reiterate that book title for people? I, I You may it's not an, know the... It's an oldie, and I've used it for oh gosh, 10 or 15 years. But now there's a ton of them out there. It's it's like uh, the title is When Someone You Love Has an Eating Disorder. It's a small little book. It used to be yellow. I think now it's red. But there are definitely uh, things to say and not to say. The other thing you can do is look at NEDA, N-E-D-A. 
um, National Eating Disorder Association, um, and they will talk about these kinds of things if you have some concerns. And that's maybe a conversation for a different day, but sometimes there have to be limits like, you know, uh, you're not eating enough, you're losing weight or whatever. If that continues, there may have to be some interventions, but um, that might be a conversation for for another day. But it can get pretty messy and 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 and, and painful, I think, all the way around. Yeah. Let me just mention one more thing, and then and then we've got a wreck today but one of the things that happens again from our societal viewpoint is that being overweight is bad for your health and being underweight or skinny is good for you and the truth of the matter is when it comes down to it being underweight is way more dangerous way more um, long-term ill health comes from underweight versus overweight. So don't think if you're down below those recommended weights that you're more healthy because you are. And I just, I want to say that because I don't think it gets said often enough. No, and I think, I mean, the the sad part of that is some people don't care if they're unhealthy, if they're underweight, yeah. because they're getting the reinforcement for, you know, looking. And um, and we all say, you know, oh, you can't gain weight. Oh, what a problem to have. No, it, this is a problem for, for some people. And some people ha do have an issue. It is a recognized symptom of menopause that you can't gain weight. And it's, if you have a friend who's there, don't, don't feed on them. Don't tell them how lucky they are because they aren't. They have just as much an issue as you do if you need to lose that last 10 pounds and can't. Well, I've so had people you... say to me, oh, I wish I had an eating disorder. Ooh. And, um, you no, know, you don't. that's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone, thank you so much for listening today. Uh, Nicole, tell people how they can find you if they need to uh, get in touch with you. Find yeah. out if a friend, find out if they have disordered eating and what they can do about it. Well, if you're interested in uh, listening to my podcast, it's zestfulaging.com. There's everything is there. There's freebies. It's not all about uh, my work as a, a specialist in eating disorders. Um if you want to learn more about the clinical stuff, it's NicoleChristina.com. But I have some really excellent guests on Zestful Aging that speak to intuitive eating. I have interviewed Evelyn Triboli, who's like the queen of intuitive eating, um, Rebecca Skitchfield, who wrote Body Kindness. So you will see, I do a variety of kind of interviews, but you will see peppered in there people who speak about mindful eating, intuitive eating, why Ozempic is not a picnic, uh, these <laughs> kinds of things. So yeah, it'll be obvious that that's something that I'm interested in, although there's a lot of other kinds of guests. So I would uh, 
I'd love That's... you to go over there. And I'm always loving to hear from my listeners. Thank you so much for joining me today. And you can find out more about Nicole, the information, the links are in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please submit a rating and review and share it with a friend. Menopause has many annoying symptoms, but not many are worse than the lack of sleep. If you are one of the 90% of women who suffer from menopausal insomnia and or fatigue, I'd love to offer you my free download, Five Tips to Get Better Sleep Tonight. You can get it at menopausematterspodcast.com slash sleep. And let me know which of these tips works best for you. 